So we're uh, continuing today our look at uh, the parables of Jesus, and uh, starting today and the next couple of Sundays, we're going to look at a couple of parables um, uh, about a specific theme. So in in an effort to damp down attendance, we're going to uh, look at his parables about money. And so just to go ahead and alert you to that, sorry I didn't warn you about this before you showed up today. Um, I told the 9 o'clock service, since they were running a little late on the coffee, everybody could run and get coffee and stand around out in the gallery and drink coffee till I was done. But um, sorry, can't do that today. So uh, we're just going to look at uh, the, um, yeah, just look at what he says about money. Go ahead, and uh, AJ, put my notes up there. So last week, Jesus used agriculture to illustrate truth. We looked at the parable of the sower. Now, see, look at Ann. Ann's apologizing. She is, she's being kind to her boss. You know, we're talking today about bosses and their employees, Joe, so, yeah. I see you. Yeah, I got you. I got you. We wouldn't have this problem if we did children's worship all summer, but because we... We choose not to do it all summer. It's confusing to me about when we do it and when we don't. Obviously, we're doing it. So if you need to go to children's worship, you can go. So um, it's not that funny, but anyway, yeah. So last week, uh, Jesus used agriculture to illustrate truth. We talked about the parable of the sower, right? So this week, we're, we're going to look at, the, at commerce. So if the parable of the sower is the central parable by Jesus, then the parable that we're going to look at today of the unjust servant is perhaps the hardest to understand. And so this, uh, this, many commentators think this parable is so hard to understand and so contradictory that many commentators think Jesus never said this, which is problematic because what's the first three words of the parable? He also said, so somebody thought he said it, right? So, uh, so we have to uh, begin to, to look at it uh, uh, that way this morning. So uh, let me read to you uh, Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. The text uh, is in the bulletin and also up on the screens behind me. This is God's word, and we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. He also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager. And charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking my management, the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig and I am ashamed to beg. Which let me just say right there, that makes this passage particularly applicable to, um, I think, most of the people in this room would think that. Uh, I work at a computer all day. I can't dig a ditch. What am I going to do? I lost my job? So this is very applicable to us, uh, uh, for, for many of us. And certainly we're so wed to our reputations Begging and asking for help, we're never going to do that, <laughs> right? So 
That sounds like somebody who goes to Weston Perez. So, I have decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, and that's important, he does it one by one so they can't talk to each other about what's going on, right? He's going to cut a different deal with each each one of these uh, debtors. He said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. He said, then take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. Now at this point, you would think the text would say, so the master took this guy and put him in prison for the rest of his life. Put him in outer darkness, right? Because of what, he, what he's doing. But what does he, what, what, what does he say? The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you who have been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, if, if then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So this is, you know, this is a pretty crazy picture, right? So what what we have here is this this story where Jesus says there's a a master who has a steward, and the steward is cheating him, and 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 he fires him, and as he fires him, the steward does these things to kind of curry favor. Uh, certainly with the debtors, maybe with the master. And we expect it to end with, don't do that, don't be like that. And yet Jesus commends to us to be like uh, this unjust steward. Now, here's the thing we have to confront about Jesus. Um, there's a movement today among a, a lot of, of progressive folks that they say, you know, they're, they're less interested in what Jesus did, his sacrifice, his atoning work, and uh, more interested in what he said. Well, this is something he said. And this is something that's challenging to us because it's about money and stuff. Money and stuff. Money and stuff. Now, for a guy who didn't have money and stuff, Jesus talks about money and stuff all the time. All the time. It's amazing how much he talks about it, right? Uh, it's, it's stunning how much he talks about it. And so, so as, we, as we look at this, we have to ask the question of why does he talk about it so much? Well, the reason why he talks about it so much is because you and I think about it all the time. All the time we think about it. Now, money... And stuff is on our minds pretty much every day. This week, I spent more time than usual thinking about money. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, I got a postcard from an institution saying, 
If you come in and open up this kind of account with us, essentially we will make you rich. Not quite, but you know, you know the, you know the deal. So I get the postcard and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do that. So Tuesday comes around my day off. I get my postcard. I go to the, the place. They used to call these things branches. They're not branches anymore. They're something else. Didn't look like a branch. I don't know what it was. But anyway, I went in there because it had the sign up for it. And I said, held up the postcard. And a stunningly, disturbingly young woman greeted me and said, I can take care of you. I held up the card and I said, this is what I want to do. And she looked at me and she says, well, I've never seen that. I don't know what that is. Most people who want to do that do it online. We're off to a great start. And I said, yes, I understand that. And, uh, but because I have this money and I am putting it into your institution, I felt it was important that you see me and I see you and we recognize that I am flesh and blood and you are flesh and blood and that, you know, there's a real person here that's doing this. And so look at me when I'm talking to you. You, I'll look at you and we can have an interaction here as two human beings about money. So she's like, OK, let me get you a computer so you can do this online. <laughs> now, uh, I am sure I have been treated in a certain way because of my age um, before but I never felt it quite so acutely as this interaction because as I'm typing away on the computer, this person comes by and says, my, Mr. Shelby, you're quite fast on that computer. Okay, you know, you're going to make me rich. I'll take the insults. Here's the money. So before I even get back home, my phone dings. There's an email on my phone. Welcome to our wonderful institution. We are so glad to have you. You can click this link on the bottom of this email, and it will show you your account, and you can see how hunky-dory everything is. So I click on the, the link, and it takes me to someplace that's never heard of me or my account. Problem. That's a problem. And so... uh I call, which was quite an adventure because they don't want you to call. Uh, they want you to do it online. And so I, when I finally get to talk to somebody, I, I said, the link doesn't take me where it's supposed to go. He's like, yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> so we broke up by the end of the week, and uh, I'm no longer trusting these people to make me rich, right? Now... It's funny how that works, isn't it? You know, this was just a little bit of money, and that's one of the things. I mean, I spent a lot of time thinking about a little bit of money. And those of you who are fans of the movie Fargo know the, uh, where the little bit of money comes from because there's a great quote at the end of the movie about uh, some terrible murders and some terrible things that have happened. And the sheriff, who is the hero of the movie, looks at one of the criminals and said, look at what you've done all for a little bit of money. Well, what might we do 
over a little bit of money. What might we spend our time and energy on thinking about but a little bit of money? Nothing wrong with money. Money's great. Like sex, like food, it is a gift of God who gives us, he gives it to us for our enjoyment, for our use, right? And yet, we, we struggle, don't we? So let's look at what Jesus says here in this, in, in this parable. Let's, let's look at the, the characters. First of all, there's the rich man, uh, who is the owner of everything. Secondly, there's the manager, right? Who, uh, it gets caught in this uh, issue. And then thirdly, we might think they're not a very important character, but they are. And that is the debtors who get their, uh, uh their debts, uh, uh, cut down. So what's really happening here in this text? Well, when you read this, what it seems like is there's a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. Now that sounds like bad management, right? Wasting his possessions. That sounds like he's not being a good steward with the stuff that's entrusted to him. Like he's made some poor investment decisions or, or maybe he's spending too much on rent for an office or something like that. That's not what's happening here. This, this uh, uh, chapter, Luke chapter 16, follows Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 is the parables of the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the prodigal son. And what did the prodigal son do with his inheritance? He wasted it. Same word. Now, he didn't just waste it. What do we know that he did with it? The text tells us he spent it in wild living. So the manager here is not just a poor manager, he is taking the money from the company, from the till, and he's using it on trips to Las Vegas, uh, uh, gambling things, other things, you know, that happens in a place that stays there, right? I mean, it's a, it's, uh, he's not just stealing, he's stealing it, mismanaging it, and spending it on wild living, okay? So he's not just a bad manager, he's a thief, and he's not just a thief, but he is a thief who will steal from his boss and not just in reinvest it, but steal from his boss and spend it on terrible things, maybe even some things that are illegal. So, so what's happening here is not just that he's a bad manager, he is a bad person. Okay? So that's what wasting means. And so we have to ask the question then, and this is something that helps us understand what's going on in this parable is, not only should he be fired, not only should he use, lose his management, not only should he lose his stewardship of this, he should be put in jail. He's breaking the law uh, in, a, in a pretty brazen and, 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 and ugly way, right? And so one of the things that we learn right off the bat is that this the, the rich man... Uh, is kind. He's merciful. He doesn't, he doesn't take the guy and clap him in jail. So he just simply says, you know, you can't be the manager anymore. You're, yeah, you're not, that's not going to work. And so Jesus has this kind of strange application from this because as the, the man kind of comes to his senses and he looks around and he says, you know what? Um, uh, I, I got to do something here. And so, so what, what can I do? Well, the, the last little thing I have is these debtors still think I have some control over these accounts. I will go to them and cut their accounts. And maybe because I've cut their accounts, they'll be kind to me. And maybe you could even make a case. This, if, if these are really bad debts, 
that he's currying favor even with his boss to say, hey, you know that, that, that debt that we thought was never going to get repaid? I got 50 cents on the dollar. Maybe. Maybe. But at the very least, he's thinking of, man, I am in a bad situation. I need to figure out a way to negotiate this. And so Jesus says, you know what? This is, this is important to look at because look at his stewardship. Look at the way he's thinking about things. Look at the way he's trying to, to manage his situation. You know what? We could learn a lot from them. Interesting. Next slide. So the, the problem that we have to see about this is, and what's going on here, why Jesus tells parables like this is that every one of us has a problem with what's called here unrighteous wealth. Now, that's not ill-gotten gain, that's money, that's stuff, that's houses, that's the things that we have. Now, was Jesus not very smart? And the reason why I say that is because as soon as I said, we have a problem with unrighteous wealth, you immediately thought to yourself, no, I don't. No, I don't. I'm generous. Or I'm so poor, I couldn't have a problem with unrighteous wealth because I don't have anything to, to think about. So I, I just, you know, as, as we as we kind of come at this, as we as we think about this, we tend to think uh, we don't have. Uh, yeah, we're we're just fine with it. But the fact is, the fact is, um, the poorest person in here has more than Jesus had when he walked the earth. Uh, and probably the poorest person in here had has more than the vast majority of the people that Jesus talked to, right? And so you're thinking, well, you know what? That, that's, you know, I give, I'm generous. I, I've got this stewardship thing knocked out. It is, it is not something that, uh, that affects me. Well, uh, let's, let's, let's talk about this for a second. Let's, let's think about this. So the, the, um, how much time and energy have you spent in the last week thinking about money? Now, some of you have to think about money because it's your jobs, but some of you have thought about money way too much, more than you should. You've thought about your stuff more than you should. Uh, and, and, and the, and the problem with that is, is because these we have this relationship with things that God gives us that get out of whack and makes these things that God gives us something that becomes in many ways a trap to us. So so you're thinking still, Steve, I'm unconvinced. I don't have a problem with it. OK. You rejoiced this week when your friend bought a boat. You thought it was great. Or bought a new house, or got a great return on an investment, or or moved ahead, or bought new clothes, or or did something like that. That made you ecstatic, didn't it? You went out and threw a party for your friend's good fortune, right? I mean, couldn't that money have been spent better on the church? That's what I think. Every time you guys buy a new house, every time you buy a new car, I'll confess that. I think that. Why didn't they give that to the church? They should give more. Why are they doing buying a house, buying a car? 
they should they should be giving it away, right? It seems like there's something that Jesus had. Didn't Jesus deal with that where somebody spilled some uh, ointment on his feet and the disciples are like, they should have given that money to the poor, right? So there's a window in our hearts. You know what? I don't have a problem with money, but I have a problem with your money. <laughs> okay? Right? Well, then you're like, well, no, that really doesn't apply to me either. You know, I, I'm, I am so content with what I have. You know, I never look over my shoulder at anybody else, and I'm never jealous or envious at all. Coveting, you know, I know the Apostle Paul said he had a problem with coveting, but I'm better than that. I don't covet. Okay, let's play this game. Here's a thought game. Do you ever fantasize about winning the lottery? Okay, maybe not, because... Some of you have scruples against gambling, uh, and that's fine. Let's just say you fantasize about the Beverly Hillbillies scenario where you go out in your backyard and suddenly you have an oil well, right? And you're, suddenly you're rich. Anyway, you get rich very fast, in a hurry, without a lot of time and energy. What do you, what do you, what do you think about what you would do with that money? Well, the way I think about it is, I would think, ah, Lord, this is a test. You're testing me, right? So I know this fantasy. I've had it many times before. And the way I deal with it is, oh, I would pay off the church's mortgage. And then I would live like a king, a humble king, a very humble king. Right? Right? That's what I would do. So that makes it okay. Right? So, so, the, so the, 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 the problem that we have with this is, is that we, we get this in this situation where uh, we forget that whatever it is that we have, just like the manager, it has been something that we have been given. There's a real and serious error in us that increases sin and lessens our ability to do good. And it is the belief that whatever comes into our possession, we are the master or Lord of it. Right? Now, now you've all heard, and we, you know, we, we say this in church all the time, you don't really own it, you're just a steward and that kind of stuff. That, I think that's kind of grown stale for many of us. I think that we've heard that so much, it's lost its oomph. I, I think a better way to think about it is, it's not just a matter that I don't own it, but I don't even control it. Really. The, the fact of the matter is that these, uh, whatever comes into my uh, uh, lap from, from God is something that he is ultimately the Lord of. So our relationships, our homes, our stuff, our money, all of those things are things that just come to us temporarily and that, that we have no dominion really over them. That for a temporary period of time, God entrusts some things to us and these things that he entrusts to us uh, really are his uh, and uh, they're, in the scheme of things, temporary and actually kind of small. So it's as if we are temporary guests in the house we have lived in, like us, for 24 years. All this stuff is just temporary. So we grasp at things, like this, this servant does, like they are ours, so that when we give a gift, we think it is our gift that when we are simply doing with God's stuff, what he has told us to do in the first place. 
And so we hear all of this and we think about all of this and we, we could walk away from this with the sense of, you know what, I need to, I need to think more clearly about this. But the, the, the point of the, of the text here, the point of the story is, is that there's an accounting. Now, this is not something that we like to think very much about, right? If you're in business, if you're in a publicly traded company, you know that once a quarter you have to give an accounting of how much you sold, how much you brought in, how much you spent, right? Well, all of us have to give an account. And, of course, it makes sense. We, we should give an account, right? Because the fact is we're like the steward. In fact, the, the, the people that we most should relate to in, in this text is, is the bad steward because we will be called before uh, our master, our uh, owner, to give an account for our terrible stewardship, right? So, so what the Lord is saying in this text to us and what's so crazy about this is, is that the Lord is saying, I give you these things. Be faithful with these things. And if you realize that these things come to us from the Lord, they're not ours, they're not something that we have, that helps us kind of damp down within us the drive to covet and the drive to have what somebody else has, right? So the waster in this uh, story is commended because he sees what is happening and he takes decisive action. Because what he recognizes is, oh, there's an accounting and I need to do something about this stewardship. I, I need to pay attention to this. I need to get on this. Right. And so he begins to take this decisive action to 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 curry favor with uh, with his debtors and ultimately maybe with his master. So the key to understanding all of this is verse nine. Uh, and the concept of failure, because this is what Jesus says. And I tell you, and anytime Jesus says, and I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, and a better translation of that is so that when you fail, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Now, that's an odd way to put that, isn't it? That's, a, that's not what we would expect, right? So that, so that when you fail, they may receive you into their house. No, what, what he's saying here is, no, this is you, what, you, what you have to recognize is, is that uh, the, the waster is commended because he sees the future. He sees his failure. He sees the fact that he's about to lose everything, and he takes action to deal with that. Here's the thing. I know that many of you are in the financial uh, planning business, and one of the things that you do for people is you tell them to plan for retirement, you plan for uh, old age, you plan for your your uh, children's college, you, you you plan for all those things. Here's the thing: you should plan every aspect of your life around the reality of catastrophic failure. Because I can't tell you whether your kid's going to go to college. And I can't tell you whether you're going to live to retire. But I can tell you, every one of you has a catastrophic failure facing you. And it's called death. Yeah. Yeah. You don't see that on uh, Vanguard ads. Very often, at least the ones they send to me don't say, hey, Steve, good news, man. We are helping prepare you for the catastrophic failure of your body. We are, we are here to prepare you to die. <laughs> I wish they were a little more honest, right? All of us are headed towards a catastrophic failure. And so how do we prepare for that? 
What he's saying here is, you know, you need to think about the fact that we have this master who in his grace and mercy sees us and sees us as his stewards and he entrusts these things to us and a day will come where we will stand before him and there will be an opportunity to give an accounting. So how do we prepare for that? Just the same way that the waster, the bad manager prepared for it. He's banking. He's banking on his scheme. That the, that the master is merciful, that the master is kind, and that the master is generous. Because the master should be throwing him in jail. In fact, maybe in this culture, the master might even be able to put him to death. But what the master does is he looks at him and he says, you know what? You did a good thing. You, you, took, you took your circumstances. You entrusted yourself really in a pretty profound way to me. And, and what did you do? You, you took decisive action based on the fact that you believe I am gracious and merciful, right? So as we, as we look at this, we have to see that we, we, as we prepare for this catastrophic failure, we trust the generosity and mercy of the Lord, that's what we're banking on. That's what our whole accounting is, is, is going to be based on. Because honestly, if, if you think that you're going to be able to stand before God and say, you know, all that stuff you gave to me, I did a terrific job with all of it. With all of it. Every second of every moment of my life was spent in the pursuit of your glory. Right? So what are we going to bank on when that accounting comes? Well, what we're going to bank on when that accounting comes is, is that the master sees us and understands us and in his mercy has provided not just so that our debt can be forgiven, can't, uh, 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 brought down, cut by 20 or 50 percent, but so that our debt gets wiped away. So Jesus steps into the place of the unjust servant and he doesn't just cut a little bit of our debt, he removes it all. He takes the ledger and takes all of the things that we have misaccounted and misapplied and stolen and all of that, takes it upon himself and then writes our name in a different ledger, which is the ledger of life, right? Here's, here's the thing. You know, we spend an inordinate amount of time thinking about this stuff that is only temporary. And Jesus says, if you spend all your time focused on these small things, these, and, and you're such a poor steward of the things that are temporary, how are you going to steward the real riches, the eternal riches, the things that are beautiful and wonderful and never wear out and that make all of the best 401k plan and the best hedge fund and the best real estate deal and the best boat and the best vacation and the, and all of those things seem like nothing. So our hope and our trust today is in the goodness of our God. And we have the unconvertible, un, un, uncontrovertible evidence of his goodness and his love and his mercy to us in the reality that Jesus Christ has atoned for our sins, even our terrible stewardship of all the things that he's given us.
On the first day of the feast, festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus. They did as he had directed them and prepared the Passover. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's confess our sins together by using uh, this prayer of confession. We brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Father in heaven, Forgive us for how we have sinned with our money, for orienting our lives around it instead of around you, for viewing it as our own instead of as coming from you, for running away from it instead of handling it wisely, for hoarding it for ourselves instead of spending it for your kingdom. Forgive us our sins and soften our hearts through your generosity. May your grace make us generous people. Amen. Believer, hear the good news. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. The scriptures tell us on the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it, just as I do now, ministering in his name, and he gave it to his disciples. The Lord is a giver. Uh, that is uh, part and parcel of his character, uh, that uh, he gives and he gives and he gives. He is always giving. And even when it seems to us that he is taking, he only takes to give us more. One of the things that we need to see about uh, the way the Lord thinks about that is, is that his love is demonstrated to us most clearly uh, in the work of Jesus Christ, you may doubt his love today. You may feel like uh, he doesn't love you and you may be tempted to uh, think uh, that God only takes from you. And yet we are reminded uh, uh, as we think about that today that Jesus Christ said greater love has no man than this than that he lay down his life 
for his friends, and I call you my friends. History ends in a party, a lavish party, uh, that God will provide for us. We will eat at his table, as the scriptures describe the marriage feast of the Lamb. Uh, The Lord is lavish in his grace and in his gifts, and we are often poor stewards. Our hope, our trust today, is that our master is good and merciful, and our trust today and our hope today is that his mercy and his grace is demonstrated to us most clearly in the work of Jesus Christ. An accounting will come. And in that accounting, our hope and our trust will be in the one who lived and died, who stewarded perfectly all the gifts that were given. That's our hope today. If you've come to that place in your life where you have no other hope uh, except that work that Jesus did for you, and you proclaim that to a body of believers somewhere, then he invites you today to be renewed and restored, to be um, reminded again of his uh, provision for you. Um, As Kevin mentioned earlier uh, in the service, that we're going to be led this morning uh, in a communion uh, by the uh, dads and their sons who are uh, going to Louisiana, uh, to Baton Rouge for uh, this mission trip. So um, Tim, Brennan, Kieran Berry, EJ and Owen Fogarty, John and Sam Jarvis, Chris and Reed Scoggins, Trey and Clark Wickham, and Jason and uh, Dylan Wilkins. You guys, would you lead us this morning by uh, as the elders come down front to... Um, Lead the rest of us in taking the Lord's Supper. The bread uh, is gluten-free. The outer ring is wine. The inner rings uh, are grape juice.